we're on the fourth line. And what we have been discussing is this machlekas for Yehuda and Shimon. Machlekas is, do we say that the, the tzitz will be meratza, the tzitz will achieve atonement, whether it is on the Kayin Gadol's head or not? So we said that um, according to Rabbi Yehuda, that the tzitz is only going to be meratza when it's on the Kayin Gadol's head, right? So then why does it say that tamid, it should always be continuously uh, achieving a state of, of ritzoy, of that Hashem is happy with us? Not true. According to Rabbi Yehuda, it's only true when it's on his head. So he explains that re- really what it's coming to teach you is that at all times, the Kayin Gadol has to have in mind that he's wearing the tzitz and he, he should be thinking about it. He should never let his mind go off of it. And from there, we learn the famous Kabbalah that we did in Erevin, that you should be touching your tefillin at all times, because if the tzitz, which only is one name of Hashem, you can never forget that it's on your head. How much more so the tefillin, Shal Rosh, which has many names of Hashem, you can never forget is on your head. We're on the fourth line. Rav Shimon says that the tzitz is able to achieve atonement even when it's not on the Kayin Gadol's head, even when it's just sitting on the peg. But it's written in the Torah, that it's on his forehead of Aaron, and then Benasa, then it will be able to bear the weight of the sin. The Gemara says, no, when it says that it should be on his forehead and then it can help bear the weight of the sin, that is referring to just to teach us where the specific place where the tzitz is supposed to be sitting. One second, then Rabbi Yehuda, he's up the creek, because Rabbi Yehuda, who said that it is only Meratza when it's on the head, so he does not have this available to teach you that the proper place is on the head. He learns from here that you always have to be thinking about it. So where does he know that it has to be on your head? So we say, the fact that it says on the far head. So one second, then Rabbi Shimon also should be able to learn out from the same place. And if Rabbi Shimon can learn out from the same place, then he should. Indeed, Rav Shimon would also learn out from that same place. It says, Al-Mitzchay. One second, we just got finished saying that. Rav Shimon learns out from the fact that it says in the Pasuk that um, it says, Tamen Meratze, the Al-Mitzchay V'Nasa, right? That, I'm sorry, Al-Mitzchay V'Nasa. But that teaches you that it, he's, that's the place where it's supposed to be. Well, if Al-Mitzchay alone, on his forehead alone, is already sufficient to teach you the place where it's supposed to be, then why do you need V'Nasa? El Al-Mitzchay V'Nasa, my other day, according to Rev Shimon. He would say to you, If it is able to go on your forehead, it can achieve ritzoy, even if it's not on your forehead. If it is not able to go on your forehead, it cannot achieve ritzoy. What's it coming to exclude? It's coming to exclude the case where the tzitz is broken. Indeed, it will not achieve atonement for you because it can no longer sit on the forehead. So the question is like this. According to Rabbi Yehuda, Nishbar HaTzitz Binaleh, in other words, how does, according to Rabbi Yehuda, who says that it can only be Maratza when it's on your head, how does he know that if it's broken and on your head, it is not Maratza? So he learns from the fact that instead of saying Mimetzach, the forehead, the Pasuk says Mitzchay, his forehead. So he says Al Mitzchay Tamit on his forehead continuously. The implication is it has to be able to rest on his forehead properly. Rabbi Shimon says the difference between Metzach and Mitzchay is not sufficient enough to allow us to learn out that there's an additional drash in the fact that it said Mitzchay on his forehead as opposed to Metzach forehead. Let's say now that the, these Tanayim are actually like these Tanayim. That there's a, this Machlekes Tanayim that we've just been talking about until now is really like a different Machlekes Tanayim. Tanya, we learned in Abraisa. Echad zeh mazen alav kol shiva. Both the Kayan Gadol and the Kayan Gadol before Yom Kippur and the Kayan is going to burn the Paraduma. We sprinkle on them all seven days before in the time of Prisha, in the time of separation. 
Mikol chatayis shayisham. From all of the chatayis, from all of the the ashes, you know, water that has ashes from all of the different paradumas throughout the time. Divrei Rebbe Meir. These are the words of Rebbe Meir. Yesi Emer Ein Mazan Alav Elish Lishi Yishdi Belvad. Rebbe Meir, I'm sorry, Rebbe Yesi says you only sprinkle on the third and seventh day. Chanina Skan Hakehanim Emer Hakayin Haserif Asapara. Mazan alav kol shiva. The kain who burns the paraduma, you sprinkle on him all seven days. Kain gadol b'yemit kipurim. Ain mazan alav elashvi shlishi ushvi. The kain gadol who being prepared for yom kippur, you only sprinkle on him on the third and seventh day. Now, when you talk about sprinkling, the halacha is that on the third and seventh day after becoming tamei mace, you need to be sprinkled on. So you know, if you came tamei through uh, touching the dead body or whichever way you come tamei from from a dead body, so. To become taller again, you have to be sprinkled on with the water containing ashes from the paraduma on the third and seventh day after the incident occurs. Okay, so we say like this: We say, "My love, hakemifli." What is this machlekas tanaim over here? Three-way machlekas tanaim. One tana says you sprinkle on both of these kahana, both the kain gadol and the kain hadit, the seven days before the, the paraduma, each day. One madama says both of them only on the third and seventh day. And one of them splits the difference. He says, when it comes to the Kain Gadol, only third and seventh. When it comes to the Kain Hedyat, it's going to be burning the Paraduma even every day. So the Gemara says like this, presumably the Machlekes is based on the same Machlekes that we did at the beginning of yesterday's Da'a. Remeyer says that Tuma is only pushed off when it comes to something that the entire community is related to. And Rabbi Yaisi holds that Tuma is completely permitted in, in the Tzibur. What, is it, what are we trying to say? What we're trying to say is like this. Rameyer says Tuma is only pushed off. And therefore, ideally, you should try to get rid of the Tuma under ideal circumstances. So therefore, we're going to sprinkle on all seven days just to make sure that we, we, we take care of the problem. But Rabbi Yaisi holds that the Tuma is completely permitted when it comes to a Tzibur uh, issue, right? Since it's uh, related to the community, it becomes completely permitted if it's Tuma. So if it's completely permitted, then you don't really need to sprinkle at all. Okay, so therefore, a third and seven will be sufficient. The Tizbra, the Gemara now comes to explain. Isavar, Rebbe Yaisi, Hatter, Hibatibar, Rebbe Yaisi holds that's completely permitted. Then Hazar Klaulamali, if it's completely permitted, then what are you talking about sprinkling for? You only sprinkle because you think that there's a problem. There's Tuma here, we need to get rid of it. Well, if it's completely permitted, why do you need to get rid of it? Let it stay. Ela de Kulialma, Ahani, Tanai, Sabi, Tuma, Dechoye, Hibatibar. Rather, all of these Tanayim agree. The Tumah is only pushed off with the community. It is not completely wiped off. Why does Rameyer say you do all seven days? And it basically says only day three and seven. Stick with me, okay? So the Gemara says like this. Rameyer Sabar, Amrina Tefila Bazmana Mitzvah. Rameyer holds that Tefila, the time for immersion, as soon as it becomes okay to immerse, you are, it's a mitzvah to immerse on that very day. Rameyer holds that it is not important to go to the mikvah right away on that day. Now, where does the mikvah come from? This is a very left field argument. So a couple of points that I want to just make clear. So first of all, we said before that you have to have the water sprinkled on you, right? On day three and day seven after you touch the dead body. Well, when does the prisha begin, the separation begin? The separation began on the, on the, the first day, right? So the first day, we don't know. You might have touched a dead body, right? Two days before that. Right? In other words, you separate seven days before we call that, what's that called? You know, um, event, the event horizon, right? So the timeline begins. Uh, we know we can work backwards, right? We know that on day seven, we want you to be Tahar. But if you want to become Tahar from touching a dead body, you need to be sprinkled on on day three and day seven. If you get sprinkled on the wrong days, it's not going to do the trick, okay? 
So we don't know what day you touched the dead body. You might have touched the dead body two days before your separation began. Well, then day three is actually day one of your separation, right? And day seven is day five of the, of the separation, right? So that's number one point. That's why we would have to do it more than one day because we just don't know what day you actually touched the dead body. It's all a suffix. We don't know that if you touched the dead body at all, but on the possibility that perhaps you did, we need to cover all our bases, okay? Point number two is that we learn out the din of sprinkling from the din of, of dipping. So if the dipping is a mitzvah to do on the day that you're supposed to do it, the sprinkling is a mitzvah to do it on the day that you're supposed to do it, okay? Now, Rabbi Yaisi says you only need to do it on day three and day seven because Rabbi Yaisi says, I don't care what day you became Tame. As long as you count three days, sprinkle, and then count another four days and sprinkle, you would be Tahar. The, the important thing according to Rabbi Yaisi at this point of the Gemara is that it has to be a four-day separation between sprinkle one and sprinkle two. But does it have to start on the first day? In other words, we have to start counting day one as the day in which you first touch the dead body? Not necessarily. So that's only because you hold that the mitzvah of tefillah is not bismana. You don't have to go to the mikvah on the day when you're supposed to go. If you go to the mikvah the next day, you're just as good. You've done just as well. The Gemara now says, is that true that that's the Rebbe holds? The Savar Rebbe mitzvah. is that true that Rebbe holds that going to the mikvah on the day which you're supposed to go is not a, a mitzvah? That's not true. Arisha Yashim Kasav al Basari. We have a fascinating case of someone who has a tattoo of Hashem's name on his flesh. Ariza, right? We did this in Shabbos. Ariza, you should not go to the mikvah because if you go to the mikvah, it might get washed off. And you're not allowed to anoint yourself because it might wash it off, right? And they'll be erasing Hashem's name, which is a Isser in the Torah. You should not stand in a place that is dirty things because it's disrespectful to Hashem's name. Let's say he has to go to the mikvah because it's time for a tefillah of mitzvah, right? A, mitzvah, a tefillah that the obligation arose today to go to the mikvah, then you should go. You should tie a wrap around Hashem's name, a reed, so that Hashem's name is not exposed. And then go to the mikvah. He says, no, no, don't tie a reed. Just go to the mikvah regularly. Just try to make sure that you don't end up rubbing off the spot. Now, what's the machlekes? The Gemara and Shabbos teaches. What's the machlekes of Yesi and the Chachamim? Yesi and Ermeir. The tefillah, the tefillah bezmana mitzvah k'mifti. The machlekes is, is it important to go right away or not? Tanakama sarva le'aminat tefillah bezmana mitzvah. Yesi sarva aminat tefillah bezmana mitzvah. Okay? What does this have to do with anything when we talk about tying a read on? Tanakama basically held, you have, you have conflicting issues. One issue is you have to go to the mikvah. The other issue is we don't want Hashem's name to get erased. He says, go find yourself a read, tie the read around Hashem's name, and then it's likely that the name will not be erased. And even if it does end up getting erased, it won't be your intention, it won't be obvious that it will for sure happen, and you won't be held responsible for that. Rabbi Yaisi held, Tefillah Bismana is so important that we don't want you to think that I need to go get a read, because what might happen, you might not go to the mikvah in time, and you might have to push it off till tomorrow. We'd rather take a chance that Hashem's name will be wiped out than ask you to go get a read. So it is clear that Rabbi Yaisi holds it is important to go to the mikvah as soon as it is the proper time. So Rabbi Yaisi and Ramea both agree it's important to go to the mikvah when it's the proper time. So that cannot be the cause of the dispute between Rabbi Yaisi and Ramea. So everybody agrees, both Ramea and Rabbi Yaisi, that it's a mitzvah to go to the mikvah at the proper time. And here the mechlegas really is like this. Ramea says we compare the sprinkling on them to the actual immersion in the mikvah. Rabbi Yezus says we do not compare the sprinkling of the paraduma ashes on individuals to mikvah. And even though when it comes to mikvah, to immersion, he held that it's a mitzvah to go in the proper time. 
comes to sprinkling, it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly when it first becomes appropriate. Rebbe tried to split the difference as a peacemaker, right? It leaves nobody happy with it. So he held, if he held, you should compare sprinkling to immersion. Then even the Kayin Gadol and Yom Kippur should also be sprinkled on every day, right? He loy makish hazal atfila, but if he does not compare the hazal to the tefila, apilu kain aserif as hapara nami loy. Even the kain who burns the paraduma should not be sprinkled on every day; it should only be sprinkled on the third day and the seventh day. And we'll have to say we don't know what day he became tamemes, and we'll just do it on day three and day seven. It's an arbitrary day three, but the main thing is it has to be day three and day seven. What day did he become tamei? Not important to us because we no longer care about going to the mikvah on the proper time. But then he should be consistent. Uh, he's not solving anything by trying to, you know, dance on both sides. Really, he does not compare hazat etfila, the sprinkling to the immersion. The reason why the kain who burns the red heifer, the paraduma, needs to be sprinkled on every day, that's what we call a maila ba'alma. Maila ba'alma means it's just a, it's an extra stringency, an extra um, advantage. It's an extra nice thing, but it's not, strictly speaking, um, absolutely obligated. Whose opinion is that which we learned in There's no difference between the Kayan who burns the red heifer and the Kayan Gadol and Yom Kippur. Ella, except for the Kayan Gadol who is going to the Beis HaMikdash. The reason why he separates from everyone else is so as to a higher level of sanctity as he walks into Yom Kippur. So therefore, his the Kehanim, who are his not uh, literally siblings, but as obviously over here we mean his his relatives, his, his uh, comrades in arm, right? So they are allowed to touch him because the reason why he's separating from the people is not because of tuma or tahara. It's not because of impurity or purity. It's because of holiness. And a way to symbolize your separation for holiness is to say, I step away from the rest of the community. But not that you can't touch other people, not that you cannot hang out with anybody. It's a symbolic act of stepping away to say, I'm now entering into a holier state. But in terms of actually touching other people, that would be fine. However, the Kayin is going to burn the paraduma. The reason why he's separated from everyone is to make sure that he is tahar. And therefore, the, his brothers, the Kehanim, are not allowed to touch him. So we said that's the only difference, no other difference, right? So Gemara asks like this. Come on. Well, I- the Gemara now asks like this, Come on, whose statement is this? He could either be Rameir or Rabiesi. Because Rameir and Rabiesi both treat the Kayan who's going to burn the Paraduma and the Kayan God before him kept, but they treat them exactly the same. The Ereb Hanina is Kana Kehanim. However, Hanina, the, the second in command of the Kehanim, that's not going to work. Held that the Kayan God who's going to be kept, only gets sprinkled three and seven. But the Kayan who's going to burn the Paraduma gets sprinkled every day. So that would be another distinction to be drawn. Maskavla Rabiesi by Rabbi Hanina. Rabiesi, the son of Rabbi Hanina, asks a question on this. Peshle Marisha and Shamashlishi says, I don't understand. Because I understand that you sprinkle him on day one, because maybe day one is really the third day after he became ritually impure. Shemi Shamashlishi. Maybe you sprinkle him on day two, because that's the third day after he became impure. Shlishi Shamashlishi. The third day of a separation, perhaps he touched something that's made him ritually impure, Tame Mace, right before day one began. Chamishi Shamashvi, the fifth day, maybe it's day seven after he started. Because if day one was really day, if day one of, of sprinkling is really day three, then day five is really day seven in total, right? We really need a timeline here. Shishi Shamashvi, 
And the sixth day of the sprinkling, sixth day of separation, we sprinkle in because this might be day seven because day, if day two was really day three in terms of sprinkling, then day six of separation is day seven from day two being four, right? Ella Ravi Lamali, I'm sorry, from day, day, day two being three. Ella Ravi Lamali, well, why do you need to sprinkle them on day four? What's the point? On day four, right, we know he didn't touch anybody on day one because he already separated, right? So if he touched someone on day, uh, on day one minus zero, then day four is day five. Doesn't help me at all, right? So in what way could day four make any sense? Lamali has a cloud. You shouldn't need to sprinkle at all. You can't say that it could be the third day because he had already separated three days before. And it cannot possibly be the seventh day. What do we mean by that? It actually could be the seventh day. But if it was the seventh day, he didn't end up getting sprinkled, right? If he didn't end up getting sprinkled on day three, because if, if day four of a separation is day seven since exposure, then four days before that was not a day he got sprinkled, so it doesn't help me. So what would be the point of sprinkling him on day four? So the that responds, what would be the point of sprinkling him all seven days? That's not possible either. The sprinkling act is forbidden on a rabbinic level to do on Shabbos. So therefore, the day of the seven in which you're supposed to be sprinkling this Kayan headed is going to burn the paraduma, right? The regular Kayan. You would not sprinkle them if it's, it's the day of the week that Shabbos you wouldn't sprinkle because that's forbidden on a rabbinic level. And therefore, there's no reason to sprinkle because this whole thing is, is uh, you know, many levels of, of chashash, of, of concerns and suspicions that you would not end up doing when it comes to violating a law of Shabbos. So what are you going to say? You have to say that when you say you sprinkle all seven days, we mean to exclude the Shabbos day. Indeed, it is true also that when we say seven days, we mean seven excluding day four. So end of the day, if I ask you guys, hey, according to the, uh, the Tanayim that you sprinkle seven days, right? What about you sprinkle day five four? days. What was that? You sprinkle five days. Exactly. Or maybe six at most. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. That we, in, in certain circumstances, you'll end up sprinkling six days if you can manage to have that day four and Shabbos end up being the same day, which sometimes we can actually engineer, sometimes we can't. Amarava, Hilkach, Kayengadol, Yemekipurim, before Yom Kippur, the Leibidi Dan Taliyamil says it's not up to us to figure out when Yom Kippur is, right? That's up to the moon. It turns, it, it depends on how the calendar works out, right? So therefore, on the third day of Tishrei, time to separate the Tishrei. And whatever day the third of Tishrei is, that's the day you're going to have to separate. Now, let's say the, the third day of Tishrei is Shabbos, right? Okay, great. You're not going to sprinkle the third day, and you're not going to sprinkle on the fourth day, which is Wednesday. So that's two days you're not going to sprinkle. But the Kayin is going to burn the Paraduma. That's up to us to determine what day he burns it. If it's up to us. It's up to us. From initially, we separate him on the fourth day of Shabbos on Wednesday. Why? Then his fourth day, if Wednesday is day one, Thursday is day two, Friday is day three, Shabbos, lo and behold, is day four. Shabbos, you don't sprinkle because it's Shabbos. You also don't sprinkle because it's day four. Great. You, now you still get to sprinkle all six other days. We learned in our Mishnah that we separate this kind of the Lishkas Parhedrin. What is that Parhedrin? What is going on here? So the Gemara is going to actually delve into this a little bit. Tanya Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda taught in a Brisa. Was it called the Parhedrin? Which we will see shortly means like the, the king's cabinet, right? The security council, okay? Is that what it was called? It was called the Lishkas Balvati. 
But the Lishkas Balvati are the people who help take care of the, uh, of the government of Yerushalayim. Ella, initially they called it the, the house of, of Balvati, the, the chamber of Balvati. At a certain point in the second base of Mikdash, what would happen is people would start paying money to bribe to be called the Kayin Gadol, right? And they would pay money to the to the uh, the people who are not not to the Kahanim and not to the uh, people who are in charge of the base of Mikdash, but rather to the government. And the government would say, "You better take him as the Kayin Gadol." Okay. So when that started happening, they would have to be switched out every twelve months. Now this means either because uh, we learned in other Gemaras that. They would actually die every 12 months because each year when they would, you know, would go into the Kedush HaKadashim and he was not worthy of it, he would actually end up dying. So when he paid off to get his job, he would die when he get into the Kedush HaKadashim. Now, you got to ask yourself, how much is it worth to be the Kedush when you're going to die in 12 months? And the answer is, obviously, it was worth a lot because they were paying for it. Now, once that happened, they stopped going to Lishkas Palvati. And rather, they started calling it Kip Parhedrin Halalush Machlif and Isaac Koshne Masachedish. They would call it the Parhedrin that ends up getting switched out every 12 months. Why? Because who, who switches out the Parhedrin? The king, uh, we're not going to go anywhere with this, but kings, oftentimes, their, their, uh, their cabinet gets switched out quickly, whether they resign or get fired. We find that they have to get switched out pretty quickly. There's a lot of turnover. Therefore, so just like the king switches over his, his council often, his cabinet often, so too these Kahanam Gedelim at a later point in time, they were switching out every 12 months. So as an ironic nod to that, they started calling it Lishkas Parhedrin and no longer Lishkas Parhedrin. Tinan Hassan, we learned in a mission over there, we'll finish with this. Nachdaimen bakers, Chazal said in general, you have to, when, when we buy something called demai, we buy something called demai, which means things which are uncertain if people actually took the, the proper tithes from these fruits, we're obligated to take the tithes all over again, right? However, for, for the bakers, we don't obligate them to take all the tithes again because that would really kind of the profit something wicked. So when the Chachamim said you need to be concerned, perhaps they didn't take it properly, they said that the only thing that bakers need to be concerned for is perhaps they did not take the Trumas Meiser, right? Trumas Meiser and the Chala. Trumas Meiser means the part of the Levi's tenth that he ends up giving to the Kayin, right? And also that's one thing you have to be concerned that they didn't do. You also have to be concerned that they to give the Chala, give the Kayin shear from the dough. Gemara asks, Dishlema Truma Gedela light. I'm not going to ask. Gemara speaks out. When it comes to the Truma Gedela, when it comes to the initial Truma, which is, as we know, on a rabbinic, on a Torah level, any measure at all is permitted, right? And on a rabbinic level, we say 140th, 150th, 160th, right? Everybody was careful to take that. And therefore, Chazal said you don't have to be worried about that when it comes to the bakers. The Tanya, we learned in the Raisa. The Pisha Shalach, because they sent that. The whole Gvule Yisrael, everywhere in Eretz Yisrael, all the branches of Eretz Yisrael, the Rosh, Ema Fishin, Ela Truma Gedela Belvad. Because we see that they were, oh, everybody was always being careful to take at least the Truma Gedela, right? At the very least. So therefore, Truma Gedela, we would not be concerned for when it comes to the bakers. Tomorrow, we'll continue and we'll try to go through why these other things we don't have to be concerned for and why we do have to be concerned for just the Truma Smeiser and the Chala. Okay. Take care, everyone. Be well. Good night. Good night. Good night.